Well, good evening. Good to see you. Glad that uh, you made it out. Uh, welcome to college night. Yeah. I guess I'm the representative for college. Yeah. You didn't know the college folk looked this old, did you? <laughs> no, but I'm glad you made it out and uh, kind of a rem little reminiscent of um, during that COVID time frame, you know. I know when we uh, didn't have services for about six weeks and we started live streaming, we had a few folks that were out there and I uh, had to get used to that, preaching to uh, not as many, but uh, still recognizing that there were many that were watching uh, via live stream. So thank the Lord for each one that is. Uh, hopefully uh, some uh, out at the campus are also and other places. I uh, thank the Lord um, for each one here and watching on live stream. I want to thank um, Brother Jason for just the opportunity. Uh, to be able to preach and to be involved in um, the week before our uh, missions conference. Looking forward to that next Wednesday night. It starts. You ready? You ready for it? Next Wednesday. I mean, come on. It's, I know it's snowing outside, but we can be ready for a missions conference for next week, can't we? Of course we can. Uh, this past Sunday, I was preaching over in Sepulpa. And uh, so I didn't get to be here for the services, but I listened to that message on Sunday morning. Fantastic. Leading up toward a missions conference pertaining to the uh, love God's way and the eternal love from God and how much he cares for us. And man, it gets you ready for it, doesn't it? It should. I prayed about what to preach tonight and of course didn't know the, the ice was going to come in. But uh, oh, I do have to mention this. You have to, not right now, not right now, but later, you need to take a look at Preston Hoyseth's video that he posted about the snow in Minnesota. You ought to take a look at that. The snow is as high as their building. He actually has a video where he walks up the snow drift and goes right onto the roof of the building and then on up to the peak. Um, it's not too bad around here compared to that. So just don't look at it during the service, but afterwards you ought to take a look and you say, thank you, Lord, for just a little bit of ice uh, that we get around here. Um, but of course, didn't know that... Uh, this the ice was going to happen, and so I'd prayed tremendously about what to preach, and God had, uh, I just couldn't get it off my mind, pertaining to the upcoming uh, missions conference that we have uh, approaching. There are a tremendous number of passages in Scripture that we can preach pertaining to missions and getting our heart ready. We should do that regularly, have our heart ready for the endeavors that we can do here and abroad, um, but that's what we're going to look at a little bit um, this evening. I know as I pastored, I uh, always liked it when we had ice days that took place in the middle of the week as opposed to on the weekend. And you could, yeah, attendance would be down on Wednesday night, but uh, much better personally in my mind than it was on Sunday. Uh, so maybe it'll be much nicer when it comes to this upcoming weekend as we get prepared uh, for the missions conference up and coming. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take that out and let's stand together. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians number 2. One of my favorite passages of Scripture when it comes to missions. And uh, you say, well, this isn't really what is considered missions. Oh, I, I beg to differ with you. Uh, this passage of Scripture is immensely pertaining to uh, the need of outreach and the opportunity that we have of outreach, whether it's right here in Oklahoma or elsewhere. So we're going to notice, starting in verse number 1, follow along if you would. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, starting in verse number 1. It says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, 
nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others." when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Now, if you would, we're not necessarily um, going to preach this section, but just make reference. Jump down to the end of chapter number two, if you would. Verse number 19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's go in prayer and uh, then you can be seated. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how we can look into your word and we can know that you will deal with us uh, exactly where we're at and what's going on in our life. And I, I pray that that would be the case tonight, that we would give attention uh, to uh, how you want to deal with us. Uh, sometimes, especially as we're approaching uh, this upcoming missions conference, sometimes we can just get used to it. We can get used to missions being talked about. We can get used to uh, missionaries passing through and uh, sometimes there's a great need. Matter of fact, regularly, there's a great need for our hearts just to be challenged, uh, to be drawn in the direction of uh, us being involved and recognizing why it is that as a group of believers, uh, we would carry out the Great Commission and we would desire to be involved in that. Help that to be um, very much at the forefront this evening. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. Thank you so much. I think we could probably go to a multitude of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament and have the emphasis being upon, as the theme is this year, love God's way, or as the missions conference theme being the same, love God's way. And we would find um, many challenges to how maybe we should adjust things from where we currently are. Sometimes we get accustomed uh, to how we function. We get accustomed to how we are when we come to church or how we are when we're um, on vacation or when we're traveling. And, and uh, sometimes it does us good to be reminded of some things. And often, much of preaching that we hear is exactly that. It's reminding us of that which maybe we already knew and we just need to draw it back into our, the forefront of our mind. I mentioned that I had the opportunity to preach over in Sepulpa this past weekend and it had to do with Sweetheart Sunday. And, you know, really, I wasn't looking for some new stuff between the lines for Sunday morning and Sunday night. It was reminding how that we can actually love life as a married couple, as a group of, uh, uh, as a family, and having a, a couple in there that sets the stage and sets the example of how a marriage should be. And we went through about six different areas that was not rocket science or breaking information, but reminding of these uh, couples of the need to remember some of the basics. And that's what's needed often when it comes to missions, when it comes to our involvement in missions. 
Sometimes we don't just need to hear about, um, let's define missions. Or we don't need, just need to hear about the idea of, um, let's have the Great Commission quoted to us five times. What we need to do is recognize that God saved us, not to just let us sit by and stay around here and enjoy it, but for a purpose of making sure that there are others that get to know the same Savior that we know. And what that requires is our heart being challenged to where we say, wait a second, I have to get involved in this. I must be involved in this. And there's a necessity for that. Right here in this passage of Scripture, we have Paul giving out his heart of why he had chosen to be a missionary, why he had chosen to be used by God. You know, he could have refused. Sometimes we make Paul into this, this superhero. I get to teach the book of Acts and the life of Paul out there at Heartland and, and, and enjoy that. And it, it thrills my heart to be able to do that. And I think some of the students enjoy uh, me being there. But then I heard it announced or that I was going to be preaching tonight and uh, the, there's no students. So I'm not sure if maybe they don't enjoy it as much as I thought. No, I know, I know why they're not here, of course. But I enjoy uh, preaching through the book of Acts because... You don't have to find some new thing there that shows, let me tell you what we can do in a new way for the local New Testament church where we can make it like really alive. We can make it really do something. No, we can take the events that happen in the book of Acts and we can examine them and see that our God has the ability to make life exciting and make, has the ability to call us in a direction to actually want to reach out to people, just like we see some of the individuals like Philip and Peter and Paul uh, doing there in the book of Acts. Well, Paul had, was, had the opportunity to reach out to Thessalonica, and now he's writing back to that group of people. I'm not going to take the time necessarily to go over to the book of Acts and see that section that covers uh, this group of people or this church establishment, but just examine where we're at right here. But I want you to picture with me just a moment, okay? So we have to get a little bit of background. It's a necessity for us to understand a little bit about what is happening here. Just uh, picture with me for a minute a very successful lady in her 40s. And this successful lady is a businesswoman. She is one who uh, is a woman of influence. She's one where people come to her and ask for her advice about things because they, they trust what she has to say. Um, but with that, she's seen some of the worst out of people. Um, when somebody comes and asks you for advice, at times you can, they're not really asking on the positive side. They're asking because some negative things are happening. And sometimes we can become easily cynical or critical about that. Now imagine she had, maybe she had heard many things and uh, out of people's lives and she had become a cynic. She had become one who was extremely hardened to the world. And then she hears this message, these, these people that weren't normal around there or weren't accustomed to being around there or they were strangers in the area. And she hears this message is being promoted. This message is being promoted talks about this Jesus, this Jesus Christ who uh, was the Messiah and suffered uh, for her sins. That this same Jesus loves her and this same Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that was a message she had never heard before. That this same Jesus rose from the dead for her to give her hope. And she listens to that message and accepts what has been talked about into her life personally. She makes it personal, not just general, not just generic, but she makes it personal and she changes. 
She changes to where maybe she's not as critical or as negative or as much of the person who was the cynic that she had become. Now imagine another individual. He's a young man. He's in his 30s. He's pretty religious. Um, but he's not really religious necessarily about God. He's, he's religious about his own little g-gods. He's engaged in a lot of seeking after pleasure and oftentimes in an immoral way and sometimes even connection with his gods, he's involved in that. He um, regularly gets involved in a drunkenness in life and that choice uh, to go after that. And he's demeaning of people and that's just the way he lives. And then he hears about these, these strangers that have come to town. These strangers are talking about the same thing that the lady had heard about, talking about how that your sins will never be enough. You will always want more. You will always be going after more and, and that you will always go a little lower and a little lower and a little lower. And he recognizes that's the direction of his life. And from that, he acknowledges and he sees the need in his own life of a change to take place. That change, he listens to what these men are preaching and talking about, and he accepts the message that they are uh, putting forward, and he comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what happens is his life changes. He's no longer the one that's immoral anymore. He's no longer the one who uh, is involved in these, this looseness when it comes to his morals and his uh, involvement of uh, alcohol in his life and drunkenness in his life. And he learns even maybe some respect for people. Now, you say, well, what, what's that all about? Well, the Bible tells us over in Acts 17, it says, pertaining to Thessalonica, it says, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So it tells us that there were a number of individuals that when Paul and Silas were proclaiming God's word, Timothy there being there also, proclaiming God's word, when that was happening, some people listened. And in listening, their life was affected. Their life was changed. And it began to be seen um, by people that were around them. He said, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's not, it, it's not something brand new to us, but sometimes we just get used to it. You know, the gospel had the opportunity to change my life from where I could have been. But praise the Lord, I got to be raised in a Christian home from the age of two. My dad accepted Christ uh, when I was about two years old, so I don't really remember not being in a Christian home. But I remember being an extremely rebellious teenager. I remember being 16 years old and deciding to run away and steal my parents' car. I remember that. I remember the rebellion that was within me when I was sent in church and I wouldn't give attention to what God was saying. And all that was on my mind was to get out and play the, uh, uh, practice for football or get out and practice for basketball. And my parents figured out that they could spank me as much as they wanted to or as I mean, 10 times what they would have wanted to. And it would, I would have been fine with it when I got in trouble. If they just took away, I mean, if they took away my opportunity to practice or my opportunity to go to a ball game, that's how I would be affected. And so they used that regularly to get my attention. But I remember being that kind of person. And sometimes after we've been saved for a little while, we forget that we were once a rebellious lost sinner. We forget that 
We weren't always this way, knowing what we know about Scripture and knowing what we know about the gospel. And we forget that there are people. Oh, my lands, there are people that need Jesus Christ, and we come in contact with them regularly. We have an opportunity to be involved with missions endeavors and hear from some of, some of these missionaries are going to be here. Going to Brazil and going to Japan and they're in China and the Philippines and these various areas of the world where maybe somebody has not even heard about the Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And we get together and we know all those details, all those facts. But is our heart still affected? Do we still have a drive to recognize? Praise the Lord, I've been saved now for however long you've been saved, 20, 30, 40 years, however long it's been. Praise the Lord, I've been saved this long. and We get together with my Christian buddies and enjoy time, enjoy some fellowship, enjoy some church, and not even recognizing. There are people all around us and get this, sometimes it just doesn't sink in. Here in Oklahoma, we got what, like four million people? The population of the world, seven point six, I think it is, seven, seven point seven billion people? I mean, those are astronomical numbers. We can't even think about that. I know when we were down in Venezuela, there wasn't anybody that got saved that wasn't a Catholic. They had previously been a Catholic and then accepted Christ as their Savior. There was a need from people who counted themselves as religious. I remember talking to a man that he, he counted himself as religious even though he only went when it came to the time frame of Easter and leading up to Easter and the Semana Santa and all that that was involved uh, real big down in Venezuela. And I remember that taking place and him counting himself as religious and knowing some details but not knowing Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. You know what that means? He's saved for all eternity. But I can say this, there's probably not one person here that will ever meet him on this side of eternity. But one day, one day we will. People, we will never see that some of these missionaries get to come in contact with. We will never see on this side of eternity most likely. But they're real people that need Jesus Christ as much as my daughter needed Jesus Christ. As much as my son needed Jesus Christ. As much as my dad witnessing to me when I was 17 years old and accepted Christ as my Savior. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it just slides on by. We can become so accustomed that we forget how valuable it is that we have available to us the gospel at our fingertips. This world truly needs people. Let's change the saying. Not the world truly needs. I don't know that the Lord looks at the world. I think He looks at the individuals. The persons. People truly need that gospel that we've become so accustomed to. And we have a responsibility and we have an opportunity to be able to say, Lord, how do you want to use me in this? What can I do? <laughs> Maybe we ought to just start with this. You know, every, everything that we do takes a requirement of at least a first step. <laughs> you want to have a better marriage? 
Don't try to have a perfect one. It won't happen. <laughs> Just try to do a little bit better depending upon God and how you communicate with each other. Try to do a little bit better depending upon God. Take a step in improving compassion in your companionship. Just take a little step depending upon God to see a little bit of improvement. You know, if we keep doing that, <laughs> we might not even recognize the results when they actually take place. That's what's needed when it comes to missions, when it comes to our heart involvement in missions. Maybe this upcoming missions conference you've been through, maybe this is your 30th. Maybe it's your first one. Maybe we need to, as we're leading up to it, we only have um, three services basically before the missions conference starts. You know, Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. Um, it'd be terrible to come to next Wednesday night and not be prepared for it. You know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't, we weren't really prepared for the snow and the ice that shows up. I mean, it just shows up and you go out and see how bad it is, right? And when you're looking out of your house and you see your neighborhood and you think, oh man, it's terrible. It's like Armageddon happening when it comes to ice or Iceageddon happening, something like that. And then you get out actually on the roads and you think, okay, it's not that bad type thing. But there are a lot of things that we cannot be prepared for, but we have an opportunity to actually be prepared. It's been announced a lot, a tremendous amount, that we have an upcoming missions conference taking place. It's been announced pertaining to the individuals that will be here. So what have we done to prepare for it? How many times have we bowed our knee and said, God, I need my heart revived for this. I don't want to just conference about it. I need my heart revived to show how I can be involved in this how you want to use me. I, I want to see you speak to my heart about my involvement in talking to people myself about Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, one of the number one ways that he talked to people was using his testimony. Again and again, you have him referencing what God did in his life. <laughs> right here, he's referring back to when the gospel came in to these individuals in Thessalonica and the effect that it had upon them. We're not going to take a, a, a long time to examine all this. I do like that. This is cool that I got up here like a whole lot earlier. That's pretty neat, isn't it? I, mean, I got up here like, like 10 minutes after 7, so it gives me a really long time uh, to be able to preach. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> But he talks about how that they came in and they were bold before them and speaking to them about the gospel. And uh, then he goes farther and he says in verse, the latter part of verse number two, he says uh, to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So he talks about that there was some problems and some difficulties and hardships that took place uh, when he came there initially. And, and verse number three, for our exhortation was not a deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile. So we came representing truth. We came representing honesty. We came not trying to manipulate and twist and, and all of that. We came presenting who Jesus Christ is and how he can affect your life. Then he says, verse number four, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. And then he mentions about the ways that they chose not to please men, but truly seek to please God. But I want you to notice that the emphasis upon that Paul puts upon the gospel and the value of that gospel, that which we can easily dismiss or not think about, he puts a tremendous amount of evident, uh, uh, emphasis upon. In that verse, 
as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. He says the gospel has been entrusted to him or given to him, made available for him to use. And here's the thing. He could misuse it or use it right. He could use it properly or use it in a wrong way. But God had actually provided him with the gospel and entrusted him to use it in a proper fashion. Anytime we see something like this, which we're familiar with the idea and we've heard it talked about before and I'm probably very familiar with this passage of scripture in relation to that idea. But we need to be reminded pertaining to what it is that we have been entrusted with. I know when we, many people have done this just like we have where you set up an establishment for your kids and who's going to be the guardian uh, for your children if something was to happen to you. We recently set up a trust uh, ourselves to take care of some financial things and, and stuff like that pertaining to our family and in case something was to happen to Donna and I. And, and we want to take the opportunity. Our son, as many of you know, has CP and uh, he's not going to be the easiest to take care of. Um, and at the same time, we have to recognize that when we're not here, or when we're not able to, that there's going to be a requirement of a guardian to help take care of him because he cannot, he will not be able to take care of things on his own. Well, you know, I didn't put an ad in the newspaper saying looking for a guardian uh, for Caleb. And, and so anybody that uh, would like to apply, we would consider your application. I didn't do that. You know why? I wanted to make sure that it was set up in a fashion to where it would be somebody who actually would care for Caleb. Not just the fact that they'll get some money that goes along with that, but to care for Caleb. The same is true with your children. You want somebody who's going to care for them. Even when you leave your child with an individual to babysit them. <laughs> you don't go find somebody at McDonald's. And, you know, they were sitting at a table over there and say, hey, I'm going out of town for a couple days. Um, would you mind watching my child? No, we don't do that. We find somebody that we would trust in order to take care of our child. So we become the one who is entrusting what we value to somebody else. Well, that's exactly what God has done. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. That God has trusted us with that which he counts extremely valuable. The message of his son being given to pay for mankind's sin, to give forgiveness to his loved creation, to make available the forgiveness of sin. And our God values that greatly. <laughs> so much so that he made it available through the giving of his only begotten son. And sometimes, well, maybe I'd just preach to me for a little bit. Sometimes I forget how valuable that truly is. That I was introduced to the gospel. That I have the opportunity to take that gospel and make sure that I'm using it properly. The entruster, God himself, the one who owns it. The one who is the, uh, as his possession, that gospel, the controller, the owner. John uh, chapter number five says it this way. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life, this is amazing. And this life is in his son. And in that wonderful section, he that hath the son hath life. He hath, that hath not the son of God, what? Hath not life. There's enough religion out there. There's enough accounts of 
do this and do that and do the other thing in order to uh, get to heaven and hope that it works out okay. There's plenty of that available. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what people need in the person of Jesus Christ. Honestly, when a missionary goes to Japan or a missionary goes to Brazil, they're not trying to transport American way of doing things to Brazil or to Japan. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we think we know best in particular areas. I remember when I went to Venezuela, we were doing some construction and they did not use Phillips screws. And I thought, this is weird. Why would you use a flathead screw and a flathead screwdriver? I mean, what happens when you use a flathead screw and a flathead screwdriver? Even if you have a drill, it slides off regularly. I thought, this is odd. This is strange. So I thought, maybe I ought to introduce Philip Head screws to the country of Venezuela. Well, that wasn't my goal. So I went to the store where you buy screws. And there was stores where you go and buy screws and nails and stores where you go and buy the wood and stores where you go and buy other little items and little small areas. I went there and I got screws that were just flathead screws. Why? It wasn't my goal to change the way they handled things. I had an opportunity to present people with Jesus Christ for the purpose that there would be some people that would, God would get a hold of their heart and they would begin to grow and they would begin to uh, want to know Jesus Christ more to where they would talk to other individuals and a church would be established and that church could go forward and praise the Lord it is that it's going forward. Cleason Castillo, the Venezolano that is the pastor of that church that we were able to start, praise the Lord for that. But it's going forward because God changed the heart of some individuals and now they're in a very difficult circumstance in that country if you've ever paid attention to that, but they're still serving the Lord. They're still involved in reaching people with the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is what is valuable. Not me. I'm going to pass off the scene eventually. And if God hasn't returned, the gospel will still be available for those that are still here when I'm gone. The entruster recognized the value of the gospel and provided it. And Paul was acknowledging that as the one that was entrusted with it, he had to hold it to a high value also. Um, that word, I, I like that word right there. It says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. If we took just a minute and examine the three guys, primary three guys that were there, Paul and Silas and Timothy, you'd find that they had very different backgrounds, uh, upbringings, um, Jew, Greek background, uh, very educated background, very far from educated background. <laughs> And in their differences, they were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. It wasn't because Paul had great knowledge when it comes to uh, the Torah or when he had great knowledge pertaining to the Old Testament um, uh, uh, involvement in the Jewish nation, which he did. He had a tremendous amount of knowledge about that. That's not why he was entrusted with the gospel. It's not why he was allowed. The only thing that these three individuals actually had in common is what we're talking about, Jesus Christ himself, the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to their life and then being forgiven of their sins. They had that in common and they were stamped approved. They were stamped allowed. And so what you have is the very idea that Paul is presenting right here is acknowledging I wasn't allowed because I was great. <laughs> Matter of fact, the very opposite is true. At one time... If you examine Paul's background, at one time I think Paul thought pretty highly of himself. As Saul, he, he had tried to achieve as much as he possibly could. The amazing thing that I, I see in Saul's life is how that 
He had an extreme passion for what he was doing, even when he did not know Jesus Christ. He talks about that. He talks about the zeal that he had. And he says it this way. He had a zeal to persecute Christians. <laughs> he had a zeal to stop the way from taking place. And he put everything into it. He put all of his energy. He was not a very, an individual who was just passive about it. And let's see ho-hum how it takes place. No, he was trying to do everything he possibly could uh, to do what he thought was right at that time. It's just he did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He had not had his sins forgiven. He was not having stamped put upon his life because of the blood of Jesus Christ paying for his sin. So he was not allowed to be entrusted with the gospel at that point in his life. But when he actually came to that place to where he saw Jesus Christ and he recognizes his need for Jesus Christ and he is born again, he is saved just like anybody else would need to be saved, just like any other individual, religious or not religious, that would need to be saved. When that took place, God stamped him as approved. And yes, he lived out a life showing he desired to have that approval. And what took place? He recognizes when he came to Thessalonica, he had been entrusted by God because he had, what happened? He had been approved. <laughs> he had been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Um, <laughs> I heard somebody say this past weekend that um, a quiver is to be eight. Okay, that a quiver of arrows was to be eight, and they were t actually teaching a lesson pertaining to the family. And they were talking about a family, you know, you have your quiver full uh, kind of an approach. And I was thinking, oh man, I thank the Lord for those people who have eight children and their quiver is the size of eight. Um, but my quiver can only hold two, okay? I had a much smaller quiver. We had two children, and that's all. And uh, Kyla and Caleb. And um, here's the thing I thank God. <laughs> that he didn't give me a big quiver because <laughs> I see how difficult it has been with just two. And I really, I say, wow, much grace has to be given to those that have a full, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, you know, those that have 14 size quiver. I mean, they really need an extra grace. But think through this just a moment. Um, I have two children and um, one of them has some difficulties and he's the younger, has some difficulties and has some limitations. But I remember when my daughter was wanting to study and learn how to drive. And I remember that I tried to show her how to drive with a, a manual vehicle, a standard vehicle. I knew how to do it. I would learned that a long time ago. But it was something brand spanking new to her. And I remember getting out in the parking lot, and uh, several parking lots, and <laughs> not going so well and trying again and trying again. Eventually we shifted over to a shifted to get that. We sh shifted over to an automatic on the vehicle and um, to teach her. And, and then we shifted over to her mom being the one that would teach her so we could actually have success uh, take place. And, well, she learned the same one that I was like, ah, no, if you ever tried to teach somebody to drive a standard, that's what happens. The car just jerks back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they're bouncing the vehicle as they're driving it. And the same one that did that to the car, when she was 16 years old, she's 21 now, but when she was 16 years old, she, um, they gave her her driver's license. And I remember her 
coming to me and with that driver's license. You know, a driver's license, all it is is a piece of plastic. I mean, it has a lousy picture usually on it, no matter who you are, okay? But came with that driver's license, and you know what? Just like any other kid, you know what she wanted to do? What do you think she wanted to do, Brother Perkle? Yeah, she wanted to drive. For some reason, she didn't want Dad driving around anymore. She wanted to drive herself. And the same one that had bounced the car through the parking lot now wanted to borrow my vehicle to drive. Now wanted to go from point A to point B and didn't necessarily want me riding along with her. And you know why? Not because I approved her to do that, but because some person I don't know, some individual standing behind a desk that was doing his job of getting out in the vehicle with her and letting her show that she knew what she was doing, said, okay, we will allow you now to drive. When did I sign up to say that means she's allowed to drive my vehicle? I don't remember signing that document. I remember him saying she's now allowed. And so she expected she should be able to. We're familiar with that idea. Familiar with the idea of somebody being allowed to do something because somebody has said that they're approved. <laughs> well, that's what happened right here. Now, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. You know what he's saying? Simply this. We recognize we couldn't just do whatever we wanted to with what we've been entrusted with. I, um, this is my favorite Bible. I've had it recovered a couple times because I know what the page looks like. I have all the writings off to the side. And I've used some other Bibles and I use some others to study with. And, but anytime I preach, I like using this Bible. Now some people, you know, they don't, maybe don't have a preference or maybe they uh, can swap it out and that kind of thing is okay. It's just, I like my Bible. Um, it's not because it has a brown cover. Yours might have a black cover. But within the pages of what we sometimes can take for granted is that which God values immensely. Think about this with me just for a moment. Within the pages of your Bible that you either brought with you or did not bring with you tonight is the means of how to face eternity And not have to face, as the Bible concludes in the book of Revelation, that lake of fire. But I can face eternity in the presence of God. I can enjoy eternity. I can enjoy all the benefits of what God has done for me. I can enjoy His presence for all eternity. And the account of how to do that is right here within these pages. It's available to us. His gospel is available to us to be able to proclaim the truth from what He has said. Not what we say, but what He has said. And the gospel, whether it's in a 
bound book like this or if it was in a scroll during the, the New Testament time frame or whether it was in some other books that were handwritten during that New Testament time frame and beyond, it was the message of the gospel of what Jesus Christ had done because of the love of God being shed abroad to the hearts of man through Jesus Christ could change people's lives. And that gospel being entrusted... Paul was recognizing the reason I was able to come to Thessalonica and there was a church that continued on. There were people that were saved. There were growing individuals that turned away from their idols and growing individuals that turned away from immorality and turned away from their religious little G gods. The reason that that occurred is because of what was entrusted to me, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can so easily take it for granted. You know, the value of that which is entrusted to an individual is not based upon how much value the one entrusting holds it to have. But it's the value of the one that has been entrusted holds it to have. So what do you mean? Um, real quick. Let's see if I have it with me still. This is a cool wallet. Pretty neat, huh? Pretty great. You say, no, not really. <laughs> it's kind of plain, kind of ordinary. Got stuff hanging off of it. You know, I've held on to this wallet since, <laughs> wow, time flies, <laughs> about 47 years. I'm 52 years old. I've held on to it for this long. You know why? Because my grandpa gave it to me. We went on a trip together, and I remember going across the <laughs> barefoot, <laughs> across the hot parking lot out by the lake, over to this little shop. I thought, oh, no, I don't need any shoes. We'll go walk in you know, August time frame and <laughs> hot, hot parking lot and go across the bridge. You know, I was booking it across there. And Grandpa was just strolling along because he was intelligent enough to put his shoes on. And we went to that little place and I looked around. He said, well, just pick whatever you want. And so anticipating Grandpa giving me some money, <laughs> I bought a wallet to be able to hold all the money that Grandpa was going to give me, right? And Grandpa bought it for me. Um... My kids never got to meet my grandpa, so they don't really value this wallet. My wife never got to meet my grandpa, so she doesn't really value this wallet. I imagine there's not one person in this room that would value this wallet. Why? It doesn't mean anything to you. But to me, for 47 years, I've moved to Venezuela. It went with me. I moved back here to the United States. I went to Bible college over in Springfield. It went with me. I uh, became a pastor here in the U.S. and here in Oklahoma in a couple different cities. It went with me. Different houses, it's gone with me. Why not just throw it away? Grandpa's been gone for a long time. He passed away back in 91. But it holds value to me. What I do with this wallet is not based upon the value my grandpa saw in it. It's based upon the value that I see in it. Kind of like the same way you would deal with your child. You want a guardian that would care for your child the way you would 
be concerned for them. You want somebody to babysit your child the way you would be concerned for your child. You wouldn't just pick anybody to take care of your little newborn baby. Let's say you have a baby that's three months old, four months old. You wouldn't just trust anybody to do that. Why? Because you cherish, you value that baby. So what? You, you want the baby taken care of. You wouldn't want to trust that baby to somebody who would just set, set that young boy, that young girl off into another room and leave them alone for the two days that the baby was there with you or that you were gone from the baby. You would not want that. Why? But you'd want somebody who would value the baby. Imagine, just, just picture with me just for a moment. Imagine that you, um, you have this youngster, this one that you cherish, this one that, that you went nine months carrying and, and all the pains and all the changes that took place during that time frame. And, and you gave birth to this baby and this baby you greatly value. Oops, <laughs> I almost fall over. That you greatly value. And so what do you do? You, you entrust the baby to somebody. And let's just imagine that you came up to me and said, uh, would you watch my baby? I need to go over here to the uh, Sunday school building and take care of some things. I'll be back in about an hour or so. And so I said, sure, I, I definitely will. And so you handed me your baby. And can you picture it? Can you picture it? Just for a moment here. Picture with me that I'm holding this baby, three months old, your baby. And as I'm holding the baby, you're going to go take care of some things. And, and you do. And you come back. And when you walk in the back door, I'll say I'm here in the auditorium, okay? You walk in the back door. This is how I was holding the baby when you left. When you walk in the back door, I have the baby by one leg. And I'm holding the baby here as I'm walking off over here. What would you do? You say, what are you doing to my baby? You, you would go crazy, would you not? You'd come running up there and say, why are you treating my child like this? What is wrong with you? Is that not how you would respond? That's how I would respond. If somebody was treating my child in that fashion. Why? Because I value that baby. Because you would value that youngster. But the way that that baby is handled is not based upon how you value it. It's based upon the one that's entrusted with the baby values it. So you know what the result would be? Very similar to the gospel. I wonder how often the Lord thinks, why are we treating it? The gospel message of the opportunity for people to face an eternity with God as opposed to completely separated away from Him in a place not intended for human beings, but intended for Satan and his devils. Wonder what God thinks about how sometimes we misuse it. That we don't handle it well. Maybe as we're getting ready for this missions conference, I wonder what God thinks about how we're preparing it, preparing for it in our own heart. How we're preparing for the fact. Praise the Lord, I'm saved. Let's sing some songs about being saved. Then I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And 
We're not that concerned about somebody else, whether or not they know Jesus Christ as their Savior or not. How would you feel about someone treating your baby terribly? He values his jewel of heaven. What he has said has tremendous value to it. The gospel pertaining to his son, Jesus Christ. Our God values it greatly. Let me just be as open as I possibly can right here. But this missions conference really has not much to do with how God values it. It has to do with how we do. You know why? If we don't recognize and let God get a hold of our heart, of what He values, there won't be any change of result. You know why there aren't as many people surrendering to go into the ministry? Surrendering to go to the mission field? Well, praise the Lord, we, we get blessed because we're right here with Heartland right around us. But it's not that way all over the United States. It's not that way around the world. There's a decline of people seeing the need to reach people with the gospel. And I don't think it's because people are just angry at God. I think we just forgot how valuable it is. We just forgot how it changed our life. Maybe in preparation for our missions conference, we ought to personally, individually, um, say, God, break my heart again. You know, it used to happen. A missionary didn't even have to preach. And there were people whose hearts were broken. Just by some, this really dates it, just some slides being shown. I mean, long before videos were around. Some of you remember that, don't you? You remember, you remember a missionary telling you about the people that he had dealt with? And he probably had shown the slides 20 times. And he was talking through it. Remember that? And when he started talking about a particular individual, he couldn't help but tear up. Because he recognized if it wasn't for the gospel, this person who maybe wasn't, isn't, wasn't even around any longer would be in an eternity without God if it had not been for the gospel. Do you remember sitting on a pew? And hearing a missionary give a presentation or preach a message? And you couldn't wait till the invitation was given because God had broke your heart so much. And now we flippantly kind of approach it. Oh, not all the time, not all of us. But I almost venture to say every single one of us sometimes approach it with just no heart. We're just doing what we do. The joke has been years ago. It's not as much so now, I don't think. That every mission field that was presented by every missionary, somebody would say, I surrendered to that mission field. Every one that was presented. I've been around a lot of Christians. I've been in church for a lot of years. I used to hear that often. I don't hear it as much now. 
say, uh, this is a Wednesday night. Let's get on with something more encouraging and uplifting. You know, we've got snow to face or ice to face, tough rest of the week to face. The reason, the reason that I have an opportunity and had an opportunity to show a young lady, my daughter, and a young man, my son, individuals in Venezuela and other places, in Chickasha and, and in Norman and different places where I've been able to serve the Lord. The reason that anybody would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior is not because of I was there or my family was there. The reason anybody would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior right here in Oklahoma City is not, take this right, please, is not because Southwest Baptist Church. It's because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did in the heart of some individuals who then became part of Southwest Baptist Church. But if we forget and our emphasis starts being in a different direction and our interest and our emphasis starts being in a direction of about me and about us and about what I want. Very quickly, we've seen it through history. Churches can go away. If the heart's not there anymore, don't let that happen on our watch. Maybe in preparation for our missions conference, we need to say, God, get a hold of my heart for right here in the town that I live in. I don't know. Got to start somewhere. Don't we? So maybe it's with giving God permission. God, I give you permission. Speak to my heart. Because I've lost a little bit of the value of what Paul talked about being entrusted with. And it just doesn't affect my life the way that it used to. I don't know where you're at. But I know where all of us are at times. And at times it's so easy to get caught up in a thousand and one other things. We need his help. It's not five strategies to a better missions conference. It's not, let's find some new thing in between the pages of the book of Acts. No, it's simply us humbling ourselves and saying, God, I need you. Speak to my heart, please. One more time. One more time. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to you and to let you deal with us. To let you speak to our hearts. Thank you for this group of people that came out. I know it wasn't easy to be able to um, get out in this cold, icy night. Thank you for their willingness. I think all across this room, there's a willingness to have a, their heart grasp, our heart grasp by you and how you value your gospel. Help us, Lord, to give attention to what you want to say to us. For those that are maybe out of the college or in their homes, help us to not just 
move on, but to truly address how you have spoken to our heart this evening. In Christ's name I pray.